Welcome back. And my name is Nate. I'm the pastor here. If it's your first time here, your first time in a long time, welcome. We're in a series. We're actually wrapping up a series today called In God We Trust. Say, In God We Trust. Now say it with the inflection of a question, In God We Trust. Yeah, that's, that's the question. The question is, do we really trust in God uh, when it comes to the big things in life, when it comes to especially our money? And if you are here for the first time, let me go ahead and apologize. You walked into a money series, and that's, that's usually like uh, people don't like talking about that kind of stuff. So I promise you we're not going to be heavy-handed or we're going to do our best not to be like disturbing weird. Several of us here already, as you know, are already on the weird spectrum myself included. Um, <clears throat> but we are in this last week, uh, in, this, in this series, we've covered a couple things. In the, in the very first week, we made a big statement. We said, um, there's good news and bad news. If you're here that week, what's the good news? You're rich. What's the bad news? You're rich. Yeah. Um, the good news is that you're rich. God's blessed you and God has gifted you and, and you have rich people problems, which is also the bad news. And every blessing that we don't turn back into praise has the potential to turn into pride. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we manage our money and our time shows how much we trust God or not. Last week, we talked about, um, we actually, if, if you wanted to get into like the whole tithing thing and whether that's a biblical thing or a New Testament thing or any of that kind of stuff, you can go listen to the message from last week. But we talked about tithing and we talked about um, in our life, especially when it comes to our money, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he won't be Lord at all. And today as we close, a very little simple phrase I'm going to hit over and over and over again, and I hope it burns into your, your neural pathways and your prefrontal cortex and all of that. Uh, here's the phrase, God created you to pour, not to store. And we're going we're gonna to come back to that over and over and over. Let me start with this. We're all invested in things. We all, every single one of us, we invest into things. We have things that matter to us. We have things that we are passionate about. Uh, last year, my father and I went up to Buffalo, New York in the middle of winter. And we saw, yeah, and we saw, we went to, he's a Buffalo Bills fan. We went to the Buffalo Bills game. Did you know they start tailgating at a ridiculous hour at those Bills games? And they even have people, they call them the Bills Mafia, and they, they put on tailgating what they do. I think we got a picture. They slam each other through tables. Yeah, that's a picture of a dude jumping off of porta-potties into tables and laughing. That's, that's what they do. Because why? People do crazy things for things that they love. They really do. Like, we, we lived, our family, we lived in Baltimore for 13 years. And I got to tell you, the fans in Baltimore, the fans in Buffalo... Our Carolina Panthers fans ain't got nothing on these fans. We don't, I'm just going to say it, we don't have real NFL team fans in the Charlotte area yet. These fans at these games, they, and some of y'all that have lived in like Pittsburgh or, or Detroit, or like you're like, yeah, Carolina fans, they, they just don't, like the level of devotion to what they love, to what, we, and, and there's a big difference between a season ticket holder and somebody that goes on StubHub and just goes to a game every now and then. Huge difference. If you're a city, John's nodding his head, he's a, Phil, he's a Philadelphia fan. We're praying for him to get saved. 
if you buy season tickets in the NFL, you are buying the gear, you're at the tailgating, you're at every, like, it, you are committed to it. If they make the playoffs, if you have a child being born in your family, that will come second to the playoff game. And if it doesn't, I question, I question your, your loyalty to your team. Yeah, that's, that's like, we invest in things. There's a big difference. Now, some of y'all are, like, analyzing, like, does he really question that? I hope your loyalty to your family. But whatever. There's a big difference between buying season tickets and buying a one-time ticket. There's, let me, let me, let me break it down for Albemarle a little bit more. Some of us, we drive clunker cars. Any clunker car people with me today? I've got a, yeah, I've got a 09 GMC Sierra. And it, that, that baby, it got hit in Concord the other week. I didn't even care. Like somebody like backed into the side of it. I was like, it's going to be fine. She's just fine. But you know what? When I go uh, and I drive like a car that was, I don't know, manufactured in the last year, I want to take my shoes off before I get inside of it. And people inside are like, put them back on, please. <laughs> Dad joke. And if you have people in your life, who have a new car, maybe you've seen them get a little crazy over it. Like, don't eat my car. Don't eat my car. Don't scuff up the sides of the car. They get, they get the, the detail of their car like every four weeks. Why? Because we invest in things. Daily car washes, all that kind of stuff. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with us human beings. The problem is that we will invest our lives into things that don't last, that have no value past a few short years or months or days. And it's not just, you know, stuff like season tickets or new cars. Jesus said, and it says even further in detail in the New Testament, that our life is fleeting. It's like a mist in all of time, like a, like a poof and then we're gone. Investing our lives in like a career or in a job is not necessarily a bad thing, but when we miss out on all the fullness of life because we've just gone so deep into an area, we're missing out on the blessings of God. And here's the danger. We, we will invest our lives into things that have no lasting value or no lasting meaning, and Jesus knew this about us. Jesus knew this about human beings. I've done a lot of funerals, and I've never, never heard somebody at a funeral go, man, I wish she would have just worked a little bit harder rather than come home at night. Oh, I wish he would have been a little bit more devoted to it. Now, people praise the people for being committed and loyal, but every single family, if there's like a real true love there, they're like, oh, I just wish I had more time with them. I wish I would have been able to have more time with that person. Here's what Jesus says about things that are fleeting. In Matthew chapter 6, he has these words. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. The key point for today is this, and I've already said it, and I'm going to ask you to say it with me. God created you to pour, not to store. Say it with me. God created us to pour, not to store. Say it one more time. God created me to pour, not to store. Instead of storing everything up for ourselves, God created us to be a blessing to others, to pour out to others. 
And some of us, we've already like got this down to like a really strange degree, meaning some of us, we give more than we have to give and we feel a pressure to give more. And for those of you who are in the boat of saying, well, I just give and give and give and give and give, and I, like I see all these needs and I see these things and I can't get it. Let me just encourage you, you can't give enough to meet every need. You can't. God gave you a life. He gave you, I, I, your life is like a cup. And he fills you up. And I think it's our calling to pour out our cups. But you know what? My cup can't fill up your cup. My, I pour out for my life, but it will never fill yours up. Only God can fill up your cup. Only his spirit can fill you up. On the other side of this, there are people who just get and they 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 never pour out and they never release and they never give back. You're like, Nate, pour, not store. What about savings? What about preparation? What about, what about being ready for, for storms and ready for things. Listen, I am not anti-savings. I am not anti-preparation. I'm not being anti-intelligent here. I'm totally into that, all that kind of stuff. Those of you who are in FPU right now, shout out to you, okay? Totally into preparing for the future. Proverbs tells us to prepare. What I am coming up against today and what I am when I say poor, not store, what I'm talking about is hoarding. Being selfish, consuming everything. Did you know that all the blessings from God on your life were not meant just for you to consume them all? Why? Because every blessing that's poured out from God, if it's not turned back into praise, will do what? It will turn into pride. Jesus said this, and, 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 and it's funny because Jesus said this, but Paul is quoting Jesus in the scripture, in Acts chapter 20. Paul quoting Jesus. It's like if you can get Bible and more Bible, you know? It's like double Bible. Yeah. Paul quoting Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you, can you read that with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving, it's that pouring, it's that giving. Receiving, storing, consuming. It is more blessed to pour out than to hold on to everything. And I can prove it. Not just because the Bible says it, although I think that's enough, but by the stories that we tell. I've never heard anybody say, you know what, I went to Lowe's recently, and I didn't have the money for that grill that I wanted, so what I did is I trusted God, and I financed that thing at 24.99%, and I'm going to be paying it off over the next six years, and it's going to change my life. I never hear any stories from anybody about how grateful they are that they went into debt to get what they wanted, especially when it comes to encyclopedias. I've never heard anybody say, man, I'm so glad we cashed in that 401k so we could take that one cruise. Never heard it, but you know what I have heard somebody say? I've heard them say, you know what, I gave a car to a single mom to, to, to help her 
because her car broke down and she's just struggling. And oh my gosh, that meant so much over, over my life. You know what? I helped, I helped that family pay their rent. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that had an impact on who I am because it felt so good. It meant so much more to help somebody out than for me to just consume everything. You know what? We became foster parents for the first time, Pastor Nate, and it has been challenging and it has been rough, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's ch totally changed how we see, it, see life. The stories that, uh, that, that talk about when we gave something, those stories are way more lasting and blessing than the ones about when we get something. Why? Because you were created to pour out, not to store up. Another story about Jesus. Then someone called from the crowd and they yelled, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I just want to pause with that sentence for a minute. Life is not measured by how much you own. Or at least monthly. Life. And is, is that not just a complete reversal from the way we feel in our lives? I mean, if we just give in to... The American dream, the quest for more, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Don't we think that the one with more is usually the happier? Don't we look at celebrities and people who, who are billionaires and consider their happiness and then say things like, well, I could manage all that much better. I'd, I'd, I'd do so much better. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then Jesus told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all these crops. Then he said, I don't know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds logical, right? I keep getting so many things, I just need bigger barns. But God said to him, Jesus said to him, God said to this man, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus knew this about us. He knew that we would be tempted and that we, we would actually see riches and blessing and stuff to be more reliable than God. In God, we trust? Really? Think about it. How much stress do we live under? How much pressure do we live under in the quest for more? Jesus, in this story, calls this man a fool. Why? Because he who dies with the most toys still dies. We were created to pour out, not to store up. 
Another story, and I hint at this every week when we pray over the offering. Another story found out of the book of Luke. Late in the afternoon, talking about Jesus again. The twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. Jesus had been teaching a long time. Don't you hate it when preachers just talk and talk and talk and talk and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and you're like, the line at the restaurant, y'all, come on, like, is there going to be a song or can he pray so I can get out of the room, you know, and those of you who are online are like, ha ha, suckers, they can't leave, but I can just click the X, you know, sorry, diverting from scripture. Verse 13, but Jesus said, what did Jesus say? You feed them. What's... What's the first word in the disciples' response to you feed them? Louder? Louder? (laughs) I got everybody to say the word but. But we only have five loaves and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? And, And when I hear that response, I'm like, that seems a little snippy. Just like if I were saying it, not the disciples'. Like, but we we don't have enough food, or did you want us to buy food? For there were about 5,000 men there. And if you do the math, there's women and children too. So there's likely at least 15 to 20,000 people there total. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So all the people sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them, Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they can distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Mom packed it, I assume. The boy brought the lunch and gave the lunch. Jesus blessed it, and God multiplied it. Jesus is preaching this long sermon, like 46 points long, and people are getting hungry. And here in this translation, it said late in the afternoon. Other translations, and you may have this translation uh, in front of you if you're following along in your, in your Bible in Luke 9. Other translation says, as the day wore on. It's like, yeah, he's going too long. The disciples were hungry, I bet. They were probably like back there and they were going... Man, he's going to way too long. The Methodists are going to beat us to El Ran. We got to get him to wrap this up. And some other guy's like, I don't want to go to El Ran again this week. Can we go somewhere else? He's like, no, El Ran. And they just get in this weird, like, sidebar conversation. But they keep coming back, and they're like, you go, you go tell him to wrap it up. You go tell him to wrap it up. I'm not going to tell him to wrap it up. Hey, get the worship leader. Tell him to get the band up. That's kind of like the cue for you've gone too long, Jesus. And they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, people are hungry. And what does Jesus tell them to do? Three words. You feed them. And then there's their response. What do they say again? But. Their but got in the way. All we have is this. But Jesus... This is all we got. You be generous. You feed them. You provide for them. You are listening to me and I am the source of all life. You take care of it. But Jesus, all I have in the bank account is this. But Jesus, all I have at the house is this. But Jesus, all I have 
is this fish and this bread. And Jesus takes what they brought to him. Jesus takes their but all we have. And he blesses it. And he starts handing it to the disciples. Can you imagine? Imagine being a disciple of Jesus in this moment. And he hands you bread and he says, go give this. I'm wondering if the disciples are like, okay. I wonder if they start like breaking up into more pieces. I don't know what he's doing, you know. And they start handing out the bread and the fish. And then the scripture says, they all ate as much as they wanted. And 12 doggy bags left over. 12 full to-go boxes left. And it's like Jesus is saying, I'll show you to get your butt in the way again. 12 left over. And why? Because we will never have what's needed. We will never have enough. Our butts will always get in the way. Because God is the only one who always has enough. Notice the pattern. When did God multiply it? When did the food get multiplied? After it was given. That's when the food was multiplied. After Jesus blessed it, after Jesus broke it, that's when it started being multiplied. God did not give them more before they started. He did not give the little boy more than what was packed in the lunch. Not until he gave it. God gave more as they poured it out. God gave and multiplied when they were generous and proved that they, we will choose to be a funnel of blessing to take what God trusts us to do. We will take the blessings of God and we will be a funnel of blessings to others. Why? Because God created you to pour, not to store. Top three things. Top three reasons why we're afraid to give more often. Number one, we feel like we don't have enough. And it's true. Some of you have not received a cost of living adjustment since before COVID. Some of you, your job's completely changed and you're not making the same thing that you were making before COVID. Things have been downsized. Things have been just completely... Some of you have received a diagnosis and you're now living at a different level. And I get it and I am sensitive to this. There are some of us, we are really struggling right now. That's one reason that we don't feel like we can give more often. Second reason is that we've seen giving abused. And you know what I'm talking about when I talk about abuse. I'm not talking about all preachers who always talk about money. I'm talking about the church of Jesus. There has been abuse in the church of Jesus around prosperity theology, meaning you give this, God's going to give you this. It's this motivation of I give this, and it's sometimes called a seed, and God's going to bless me with ten times this. You give to this ministry today, and God's going to give you this tomorrow. And what you see is you see this weird business on the back end of private jets and capitalism going awry. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it's evil. The only seed that is required is the gospel. God does not need my $100. You know what God is asking for is my heart and my life in this kingdom. The gospel is not a sales pitch, and it's demonic abuse to treat the gospel as though it is some kind of get-rich sales pitch. And we've seen it. We've seen it abused. And, and some of us, we've seen it abused so much, we're like, I am never giving to that again. And I understand. I get it. 
That's another reason why some of us just are not willing to give more because we've seen it abused. We've seen, we've seen not only churches but nonprofits and NGOs and we've seen the court cases and the frauds and we've just, we really have, we really have a lot of case studies in front of us about why we shouldn't trust people with money. Another reason that we don't give more often is that we have a scarcity mindset. And that's, that's different than we're going through something. The scarcity mindset literally means if I give this, then I'm going to have less. I won't have access to what I actually need. Rather than having a mindset of abundance, I'm blessed with this so that I can be a blessing. We're held back because we think that as soon as I get this amount, I'll have enough to give. As soon as I make this amount or I have this amount in my bank account, I, I'll have enough. And, and this, I, ha, I have this expectation before I can be generous, I have to be on this side. I can't be generous on this side of the rich line. I've got to be on this side of the rich line. And if we've learned anything from the rich line is that the rich line is always what? Moving. We're never going to feel like we have enough. And some of us have this scarcity mindset of, if I give now, I'm not going to have this. And what's true about giving? What's true is that whenever you give, you are always a blessing. Whenever you give, you are always blessed. And this isn't prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is if you give this, you will give this. You will get this. You will get this in return. You give more so that you can get more. That's a weird motivation for giving. God's blessings for us were never the reason for our giving. It was never the heart of giving. You might get something in return, but that's not the point. Will you experience the blessings of God? I fully believe you will. I've never seen God not bless somebody who decided to give sacrificially or give in obedience. But that blessing isn't the point. What is the point is the fulfillment and the joy and the destiny that you're stepping into because God is able to use you as a funnel to make a difference in this world. When you give, you have to get your butt out of the way. Whatever these reasons are. Writer Proverbs says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Proverbs 11, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Curses on those who drive a hard bargain. Blessings on all who play, who pay, who play, who pay or who play? Who play. Fair and square. Three quick Bible truths that will help you grow as a giver. You're like, Nate, okay, I'm, I'm, I want to be in. I, I, I want to pour, not store. Here's some biblical truth for you. Number one. Trust God with his tithe. Trust God with his tithe. It's not my tithe. It's not this church's tithe. It's not your tithe. It's his tithe. He owns it. Tithing means he owns it already. I'm, it's not mine. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but out of Malachi chapter 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. And what are those last five words? Put me to the test. 
Bring the tithes so that there's food in God's house, so there's provision, so there's blessing in the house of the Lord. Then God says, only place in the Bible where I can hear God giving a command and then giving a promise and then saying, test me on it. It's this one. It's really interesting. He says, test me. See if I won't bless you with so much you won't have room for it. It's like God saying, I'll, I'll lean into your motivation. What's your motivation? Test me on this blessing. And why? Maybe because God knows, maybe God knows the tithe, the 10%, would freak some of us out. Maybe God knew that the idea that we take 10% of what we earn, 10% of what we're blessed with, and we just give it. Maybe he knew that would freak some of us out. Some of you like right now are even like, I'm supposed to be getting out of debt and this preacher is telling me to tithe 10%. Whoa, slow down, big boy. This makes no sense and it does not compute. And you think, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to actually do that, then I'm going to have to rearrange my life 100%. I'm going to have to go into the books and rearrange priorities. I'll probably have to sell my car. And you talk about a clunker, I'm probably going to have to get one. I'm probably going to have to say no to things that I've said yes to and rearrange my life all because you're talking about the blessings of God and following God. And, and can, you can't actually mean that I should rearrange my life 100% around what the things of God says and I want you to know 100% that, that when I'm saying this, what I'm asking you to do is exactly that. To rearrange your life around the priorities of God. Because God can do more with that 90% that remains than what you do with the 100% that you withheld. And if you can't do that in this church, if this is not a church where you can grow in that discipline... Let me help you find a church where you can do it. It is not about this church getting your money. It's funny. People will take little snippets of things that I say, and, and they've been sent to me. They'll be like, see, he just wants your money. But they never include that part. They never include the part where I say, let me help you find a gospel-preaching church where you can grow in this discipline. If you can't do it, it is, not, it is not about our bottom line. It is about our hearts being submitted to God. Because if 100% of Christians in Stanley County tithe to the kingdom of God and to the first, they tithe their first fruits to God's purposes, do you know what would happen in this county? Do you know what would happen if, if churches and people would, would give 10%? to the blessings of the blessings of God for the blessings of God. That's the first thing I would encourage you to do. If you're like, I want to be a giver. I want to be in the generosity thing. I want to make it ever. Let me tell you, that tithe thing is a big one. Here's the second thing I'd say to you. You want to, you want to, you want to grow in this. Second thing, plan your generosity. That sounds so nerdy. But plan your generosity. See, I, I have big plans to get things. I make big plans. Like about a little over a year ago, we started planning in our church to go to Israel uh, with a group of people. And next month, well, almost next month, but in November, uh, Shauna and I are going with several other people from the church to Israel. And we've been planning this for about a year. We've been saving. We've rearranged priorities. We've set aside like money and we may pay it so that we could go on this trip. It's going to be a fantastic trip. The kids call the kids will call this trip bussin. It's going to be a bussin trip. 
We work really hard to find deals. Some of you are like bussing, like they're going to be on a bus. Yes, we are. We work really hard on deals. We work really hard not to pay too much money for something. My wife is incredible at finding deals. And, and I, I used to like not get into this as much, but as I age, she's, she's learned to start telling me about deals that I'll care about. And she started telling, well, it's true. Like, you know, it's true. There's this place in town, it's called Little's Big Finds. I don't know if you've heard of it. Several weeks ago, she told me, it's like, they got a MacBook Pro for 50 bucks. I'm like, shut the front door. What? Like, yeah. It's like, what do I got to do? And she's telling me about it. I got at this place like an hour before they opened. Stood in line. There is a line of people that shows up. And these people, y'all are aggressive if you're in that line. You're aggressive. And I could feel it. Like, the anticipation, the competitiveness. Feel it. And you know what? I worked hard. I clawed my way in that, that store right as soon as they opened the door, and I found that MacBook Pro. I was like stalking online, looking at the pictures where it might be posted. I was looking in the windows, and I got it for $50 a MacBook Pro. Shauna's using it for work right now. We will work hard and we will plan for things that matter to our hearts. What if, what if we didn't just plan? about the trip that we were going to take or the deals that we were trying to find. But what if, we, what if maybe we sat around and we prayed and we planned and we strategized and we worked hard about how we could be more generous? What if we looked at our expenses with the eye of a bargain hunter and with an eye of the kingdom? And we thought of things like, you know, I could send a kid to camp or I could help that dude get into rehab. Or I could, I could do this for the kingdom of God. And you're like, where's the biblical principle for planning your generosity? Glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 32. Generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. Their generosity is it accidental or incidental. It isn't just driven by the crisis of the week or the month or the year. It's totally intentional. And some of you right now, you have less money coming in right now than you did a year ago. The temptation is to turn off the generosity. I understand. Some of you a long time ago made a decision strategically to be generous no matter what. I'll never forget the story uh, when, I, when I pastored in Baltimore. I'll never forget the story of this man that passed away. His name was Norman. And Norman uh, was one of the founding members of that church. And I only knew Norman in like the last five, six years of his life, and he had back problems, so like when he walked around, he was always like this, and we would joke around, and he would, he would be like, hey, preacher, how you doing? It looks pretty, pretty same down here. How's the weather up there? I mean, he was hilarious, you know. He would say, hey, just call me knees and toes, you know, because he was, <laughs> I'll never forget when he died, and when we, uh, when I was going through records, and we were planning his funeral and stuff. What I, what, I, what I found was a faith promise card. He made a promise to God like 30 years before he died that he would sponsor this particular missionary at $100 a month. $100 a month. I, che- I checked the records. He never missed a payment. Do you know what $100 a month over 30 years looks like? 
36 grand. This faithfulness that he had over time. How do we grow in generosity? It starts with that tithe. It starts with that systematic, regular giving. It changes our hearts. And God returns and blesses us when we have a plan to be generous as a result. This, 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 this dude gave regularly. And over time, he gave so much more than if, than if he had just decided to throw in a 20 in the offering plate when a missionary showed up. He made a commitment and he gave and he gave. So that tithe, that regular routine, and lastly, if you want to grow in your giving, you start being generous right now. Paul says this too in the book of Philemon, and I'm praying that you will put into action. Say those three words, put into action. Put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Can you hear that as if the Apostle Paul's saying it to you? I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and you experience all the good things we have in Christ our only reasonable response to the one who is generous enough to give a son for us is for us to give our lives back to him God really doesn't just own the first 10% he owns everything I have and he wants to use me to be a blessing why? Because God created you. He created me to pour and not to store. Here at our church, we have a thing called the Hope Fund. Let me tell you what happens when a group of people like the Church of Jesus decides to pour and not to store. First of all, uh, I'm really excited to report to you that our teenagers in our youth ministry with Pastor Bo, they've prepared and delivered close to 1,000 cancer kits to the cancer center this year. It's going to be all, wait, wait, hold your applause. It's, it's going to double before the end of this year to close to 2,000. That's close to 2,000 people in our community receiving the love of Jesus through the actions of teenagers in this church. Our kids ministry team, Pastors Jackie and Misty, they led us in providing a day camp to over 100 kids at East Albemarle this summer. Over 50 saved and a dozen baptized. We partnered with Convoy of Hope earlier this year, and dozens of leaders in our church came together and led us to, to provide thousands of people with groceries at the giveaway. Today, actually right now, Sheila Holland and her team of volunteers are at the, um, what's the name of the place? Community table. Y'all know. Sheila and her team are at the community table feeding over 100 people lunch today. They do this every month, and by the end of this year, there's well over 1,000 people that are getting lunch monthly through this church. We partner with missionaries and spread the love of Jesus in over 30 countries and seven college campuses in the U.S. Adult and Teen Challenge was just with us, and just this past weekend, four graduates graduated from Teen Challenge. That's four people that were addicted and their lives were spiraling into death and addiction and out of control that have now gone through a rehabilitation program for the glory of God. They've graduated from this thing. That dude over on the right, all those guys were with us, but that dude on the right with the, with the little thing right there in his heart, he should be dead. If you've heard his testimony, he should not be living today. We partner, our church, we partner with Aaron's hands, Dr. Ken Shank. 
I hate he's not here today because he would be up and jumping down. We support this missionary named Koshi. That's a picture of Koshi talking to five pastors who are in jail. We partner with them. These five pastors were arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus. They have wives. They have children. They have families. We partner with them. That's them walking out of jail not only a couple of weeks ago. We get to celebrate and what God's doing. We use this campus to minister to the community. Homeschool groups and kids and teens. Counseling happens on this campus. We had a person that set up, a, 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 set up an appointment with me about three weeks ago. Maybe four weeks ago now. And I said, I've been, I've been required to, to bring something to you. I was like, okay. It's kind of ominous. Walked in and said, um, I've... I've I have to give you this check. That's just what I have to do. It's a $50,000 check. Just walk in through the door from an unsuspecting person. And those of you that are members of this church know we've got these four commercial HVAC units and we're like, we, we need like 60, 70 grand to pay for these things. We are able to pay off two and they're being installed this week. Praise God. That's like... We move forward in our pouring out, and God pours out his blessing. Even when we don't know how it's going to happen for our own good, we keep pouring as a church. We keep leaning in. Now, does that mean that we, that we just, you know, live without smart? No, we've got a board and a financial team. And a, no, we're, we're, we, we work really hard. We work really hard. To make sure that we're smart and we're prepared and we're moving forward. And sometimes we're not as prepared as we'd like to be. But we're not withholding. Why? Because God created you to pour, not to store. Your life, hear me, your life is a blessing. Every bit of it. The work you do, the love you have for God is not in vain. Your gifts, what you give, is a miracle from Jesus. What you give is a miracle from Jesus to bless someone else. There are, there, there are multiple healings in the church of Jesus. When we think of healing, sometimes we just think the blind eyes open. And those are pretty cool miracles. But it's also the meal train and the casseroles and the love that's showing up on the doorstep of the people who are sick and can't cook. It's also the regular contribution that enables Koshi to travel and to find an attorney that will represent these pastors. The miracles of God are all around us. We pray for miracles, but can't you see? It's a miracle for an American to be generous regularly. Not because Americans are terrible. We're not terrible. But we're also no different than every other human being. We think about ourselves. We have a sin problem. We're going to consume everything if we don't see it as a blessing from God. And I don't know about you, but there's way too much pride around us. Way too much self-centeredness. 
it might be a miracle for us to stand up and to just keep banging that drum. Every blessing we have, we turn into praise. Our heart goes where our treasure goes, and our treasure goes where our heart goes. God didn't create me to just receive, 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 or to store. He created me to pour out. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. First thing I want to pray.